and welcome to the Adaptation Station podcast. This is your host, Nicole. I'm a former special education teacher and currently an ABA therapist at a private center. This podcast is filled with tips and tricks for not only being the best special education teacher you can be in the classroom, but living the best life you can live outside of the classroom as well. After all, I'm all about balance. Hope you guys are excited. Let's jump on in. everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm super excited for my co-host today. It's Braylon, and I'll let her introduce herself now. Hi, everyone. It's Braylon uh, from That Special Educator, and um, I'm currently in the classroom teaching, which is fun. And yeah, I'm excited to be here. And I'm really excited that Braylon is coming on because she's going to talk to us about having healthy boundaries. And this is something I struggled with so much as a teacher, I still struggle with it. I've gotten a little bit better, but I know I could use advice. So the first thing that she was going to talk about is a stress cycle. This is something that you're talking about. Can you explain everybody what you mean when you say the stress cycle? Yeah. So I only learned about it recently. Um, I was reading this book called Burnout, The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle. Um, I'll send it to you, Nicole, but basically, or I'll send the information, but basically it was talking about similar to like a grief cycle. There's a whole cycle for stress and you can't necessarily shortcut. Like when you start to feel stress, there are things that you can do to support yourself, but you kind of have to go through the whole cycle. So it was kind of like starting off, there's something that might trigger you, whether it's a, a stressful situation or um, in, in the classroom, right? It's a lot of like teaching things or responsibilities, paperwork, organization. And then it goes through the cycle of all the things that you can kind of do to work yourself through that whole stressful situation. So breathing, positive social interaction, laughter, affection, crying, which I think is valid because I cry all the time. And I think some people don't think that's a valid option, but it is. And then creative expression, and then it goes back through the whole thing. So it, the whole book I was reading was amazing, but the stress cycle like highlights that it's not that you're trying to avoid stress. Like stress will happen even if you try to avoid it, but it's making sure that you have these like three or four things in your back pocket so that when they do happen, you can kind of work your way back through that situation and then come back out on the other side. That totally makes sense. And I love that you said the thing about crying because I'm also a crier, but I was taught to suppress that growing up. It's not, as an adult, you're not supposed to cry. But then I would use so much energy trying to not cry that I wasn't actually able to like process through the situation. All I was doing was making sure I didn't cry. Whereas if I went to the bathroom and cried for two minutes, then I kind of like got that release and I could start working through the problem. So I love that you highlighted that. 17 years mm-hmm. old needed that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think, oh, sorry. I was going to say also, you know, people always say in professional settings, not to cry too, you know, like we learn as kids, but then you become a professional and they're like, don't cry at work or look professional and like, make sure you're composed. And like, I would cry while teaching kids. They didn't know that I was crying, but the tears were just streaming. But yeah, like even a professional setting, there is a place to kind of work through the whole process of emotions in a respectful way. Mm-hmm. But then one of the things that we're going to talk about is it, it it's so hard because with teaching, a lot of us don't just do teaching from our classroom. You're doing it at night, you're doing it at home, you're doing it on the weekends. So it's really easy to not have those boundaries and have whatever stressed you out 
at 8 a.m. in the morning seep into your evening or into the middle of the night or into your weekends. So I know there's a lot of common pitfalls that we fall into. Do you want to talk about those and kind of how you work through that? Yeah. I wish that someone had told me this in college. I wish that someone had prepared me for these common pitfalls that I could have looked out for them. I think that a lot of teachers, new teachers, but even like established teachers or seasoned teachers, they fall into a lot of things like staying hours and hours after their contract hours end um, or bringing home all their stuff on the weekend. Um, I think a big thing is like, even in college, you get a lot of paperwork, but you don't understand the full extent of the organization and paperwork that you're going to get once you enter the classroom. And then also it's just, just the overall overwhelmingness. That's not a real word, but I'm making it into a word of just working this job. It's like, you almost kind of feel like maybe I don't have a life or maybe I don't have the right to have one because I have so much work to do and my work is important. And I think all of that mostly is mental, right? Mm -hmm. But it's so common, those common pitfalls that a lot of teacher, teachers can fall into. And I think my first couple of years, I did. I did fall into a lot of those and it was super taxing and overwhelming and, and stressful. Um, and kind of, you feel a little bit alone too. I, I wanna highlight that because being a teacher, you want to teach. You've, you know, some of us maybe have dreamt of always wanting to teach. I know that Nicole, you wanted to be like a journalist and stuff. Like I, I knew I always wanted to be a teacher. So that that dream was for years and years and years. And then I get to that job and I'm like, wow, did I just spend 20 something years mm -hmm. dreaming about something that's actually not bringing me very much joy and is actually really scary. And so it's like kind of almost like a, a lonely, sad, scary place to be too, when you're in that in that zone, in that situation. Absolutely, and I think another thing that's frustrating is sometimes teachers kind of continue this perception. I had a teacher that I worked with and she you know, stayed at school until seven o'clock and that was the chip on her shoulder. And she let everyone know she was such a better teacher and she was more dedicated because she was there in everyone else's classrooms and she would make comments. I would come in in the morning and she would say like, must've been nice to leave at 3.30. I was here until seven and it would like, now I can see that she just had a bad boundary. But back then I was like, oh my God, you're right. You are so right. How dare I leave? So tonight I'm going to compensate and stay late too. And I just think that sometimes teachers can kind of feed into that narrative. And then if you're in a scenario where that's the feedback that you're getting, it's so much easier just to stay in that space of just feeling like you have to dedicate yourself to your job. That's a great point. Can I add something that I just thought of, which is that um, like in college, we're applauded, high school and college, you're applauded for your hard work, right? You're of an assignment you have to study in order to get a good grade or whatever. It does take more time, right? I think it's easy to, to associate a job or especially teaching to a grade. Like if I do this, it'll get me a better grade than if I did less work. But I think it took and my, my best friend and I always talk about this, like we still have nightmares about college, even though we've been out of college for a few years. Like it takes a couple years to work yourself out of that zone of realizing like more work or more time does not equate better results. Mm -hmm. Teaching does, just because you put more time into it doesn't mean that your teaching inherently gets better. Right. It's, it's more nuanced than that. Yes. And especially when I look back at her, I think it was probably a lot more of lack of organization. Cause when I would actually see her working late, I'm like, 
oh, well, I have better systems for data collection and I'm, I graph my data once a week. So I'm not having that same problem. But if you didn't really look at like where her personal downfalls were, it did look like she was doing a lot more and she really wasn't. But right. the comparison game is tough for sure. It's tough. So I know you've built a lot for like personal methods on how to work just your contract hours, which I'll be honest, this is something that I still can't get like my mind wrapped around people who say that they don't work on the weekends on teaching. Like I just, I don't know how I could have gotten there. So I'm super curious to hear kind of your method for that. Yeah. So I want to emphasize, I want to start off by saying that everyone is at a different place and I never want to shame a person who who just works better on a Saturday morning while rested with some coffee. Okay. Everybody is different. And I totally want to validate that for people. Um, also, I want to emphasize that sometimes school things are fun. Like sometimes I want to print and laminate and watch TV or a Hallmark movie like you because it's fun. And I've always enjoyed those kind of things. So those are my two caveats, but I do work only my contract hours or that I have to work. Um, and anything else is just for fun and extra. So for me, um, I think the biggest thing was first mental, mental things, like kind of what we had been hinting at the whole time. What do my lessons have to look like? Like, mm -hmm. can I repeat them three days in a row because my students actually need that? Or can I, you know, keep these, these lessons simple? Um, and then thinking of questions like, what does my data look like? Can I graph it once a week? Mm -hmm. Right. Or, or can I come up with a system where I'm still going to get really good information, but I'm going to get that information from the work that they're doing and maybe one trial a week versus mm -hmm. every day. So those are some of the mental things that I think I had to get over from my perfectionist, like wanting to get a straight A type of personality. I had to work through that. Right. But some of the other things is that um, I realized that I didn't have to recreate every lesson. Like I didn't have to create it myself. And a lot of really good things is you can buy cool bundles or the school work that you have that, that the curriculum your school already has um, might provide you with some structure. Because I think a lot of people are like, oh, curriculum's bad because I heard my professor say that. So let me try and remake it. Like finding the simple things. Um, a lot of things for me for paperwork to stay on track. Um, I really took a look at my my personality type, which maybe sounds kind of like, like weird to think about as a teacher, but your personality type says a lot about how you work best. And I really work best in the mornings. Like I'm a really early riser. I like to get to school early. Um, something else is that I plan far, far in advance. Um, and even this year, I'm at a new school with new students. So like, I didn't know them before the school year, right? But I still planned a good amount of things ahead of time. Um, things like I got my calendar out, looked at all the IEPs, I marked in the calendar when they were. A month before I would mark, when I would call the parent, you know, I marked all the two-week points. And then I keep that every day I check, ooh, okay, I have 15 minutes that I'm going to dedicate. Who do I need to call today? Or what three emails do I need? I keep a lot of email templates um, so I can cut, copy and paste. Um, and then, yeah, my, my plans are super simple. And now I've communicated so much with my paraprofessionals or my assistants, so they know what to expect from me. And I talk about this a lot on my Instagram, but when I plan for, I plan like two weeks in advance. So the Monday I jot down ideas of what I think we should do. The Tuesday I write out the plans. 
Wednesday, I print the materials. Thursday, I copy them. And Friday, I disseminate. And each of those steps only takes me 15 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes now, once you get into the groove of the middle of the year. Um, and that allows me to not plan on the weekends. So that was a lot of information that I just threw, but I think there are like 15 minute things I do and I don't get a prep. Like my school doesn't really give preps. So it's, um, five minutes here, 10 minutes here coming in the morning for, you know, maybe 20 minutes at the beginning and staying 15 minutes and then heading out. If you're listening to this podcast, you should probably just rewind and listen to the last two minutes again, because my mind is like blown. Cause what you just described is like, that makes so much sense. And I was the person that did it all on Friday. Like it didn't occur to me. Like I would plan, find the materials, print them off, make the copies, organize everything on a Friday night. Cause I never set up a plan where I could just tackle a little bit every day. So I, that was brilliant. <laughs> oh, good. And then there might be things, you know, kids change the beginning of the week. They don't get it by the end of the week. They do. Okay. So I'll print a new thing. Yeah. Like you, there's room for, for finessing, but yeah, that has saved my whole life. <laughs> And so I'm going to throw a question at you that you weren't prepared for, but I feel like you're going to have some good advice. I think a lot of people have a similar feeling of what I'm about to describe, but they get there in different ways. So I'm a little bit older than you. I'm 30 and I've chosen to not have children and I'm very comfortable with that decision, but that makes me feel like I don't deserve free time because I see all of my friends ending work to go take care of their toddlers and I don't have that. And so it's hard for me to be like, yeah, you also deserve to stop working at six and go downstairs. And I know not everybody has, like not, that journey hasn't led everyone to that feeling, but I think a lot of people feel like they don't deserve to have that free time. And I feel like you have some good advice for people who are in that Ooh, mindset. That's good. That's good. Um, I feel the, very similar to, I, I have felt very similar to what you're describing. Um, my first uh, couple years of teaching, I taught at a school where every teacher had been there for like 20 years. They had like established families, homes. And I was like 22 and I was like, uh, I'm like an infant in comparison to you. Um, but I think that what I tend to, there are a few things I think of in my head. The first thing is that <laughs> if my friend was coming to me for advice and they were saying those things. I would 100% say, I think you're the best human on earth. You deserve all the time in the world. And so for me, I always have to think of how would I talk to my friends is the same way I'd want to talk to my inner self. Um, that's my first thought. My second thing is that society sucks sometimes. Like I'm not married. Most of my friends are married and I'm not married. I don't have a spouse. So the same way with children or with whatever, like I'm not coming home to a person, but I still have the right to come home and hang out or hang out with my friends or hang out by myself. I think a lot of it is just a societal weird pressure. But I think the last thing I'll say is that for me, I was naturally a very shy person for a lot of my life. But after a while, I was really tired of people talking to me like I didn't have thoughts. And I finally started like kind of sticking up for myself. Um, and then feeling like, no, I, I do have plans after work. And I think the biggest thing for me is that I do make something after work each day. And I'm not talking about like an event each day. I'm talking like my plan is to come home and bake a cake. I'm not going to say what I'm doing, but I have plans after work. Gotta go. Sorry. So-and-so. Or like my plan is to come home and 
watch my shows. Like to me, that is how I mentally detach and how I can maintain my life as a, as a human. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just as valid as raising kids. So I don't know if those were the answers, but that's how I feel. <laughs> Good. And I also feel like it kind of comes back to, you don't have to provide a reason with your no. If you're being asked to be on a committee and you say no, no one on the table needs to know what's going on in your personal life. And I think a lot of us feel like we have to spill the beans and share our entire life to justify the no, where like you don't. They say, can you be on this committee? You say, no, I can't. And that's all they, that's the only information that they need. So exactly. I would hundred percent agree. <laughs> Well, those are all the questions I had for you, but did you have anything else that you want to share about having those healthy boundaries for anybody else that's struggling right now, balancing being a teacher and being a human outside of that? Yeah, there's two more things I wanted to highlight that kind of came to my mind. One is that um, I think that it's easy to treat being a teacher as not just a job, but a calling. Mm -hmm. I think that it is a calling and not in like the weird sense, but like it is something that people feel deeply inside and it is so deeply personal. Like this, this path of working with kids is so personal. I think then the lines get blurred with like both my parents work in banks and that's the very like cut and dry type of job. And I've watched their whole life. They clock in at nine, they clock out at five. They have, you know, high stress things, but to them it's a job. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it can feel kind of like taboo to call teaching a job because it's so personal. It can be personal and it can be a job. And for being a job, that also means you can have a cutoff and maintain your life. And I wanted to add that in. The other thing I've been thinking about more recently is how much money I spend. Like where I put my money is where I put my heart. So my hobbies, I put a lot of money into them. Mm -hmm. My classroom, I love it. But if I keep if I keep this money and money, then I'm super invested too. And so like, I still had to start budgeting, like how much money I actually wanted to give to my classroom each month. Not so I was stingy. I would give those kids all my money. You know, I have no children. I can give them all my money. But that was where my heart was going was, was the money I was spending on little knickknacks for them. So I had to really be intentional. And I think the last thing I'll say is that I think everybody kind of needs a creative outlet. And I think a lot of people, their creative outlet is teaching because it provides a chance to, to be crafty or creative or whatever. And I found that when I found an op, like a different type of creative outlet that was separate from teaching, it allowed me to create in a way without like constantly thinking about work. So finding another outlet, even if it's teachers pay teachers, just something else on the side that's not for money, not for anything. It's just to create, to create, but it's not necessarily, um, related to your job. Yes. My last final thoughts I wanted to add. <laughs> I will say that's why I love cooking. And so many people are so baffled. I love to cook so much, but at night it's like 40 minutes. I'm in my kitchen. It's got nothing to do with work. It's got nothing to do with my kids. It's just something for myself. And then I eat really yummy food at the end. And like, that's my thing. And I love cooking. So I totally advocate finding something that you can do and for me, it had to be productive. So anybody else who feels like their free time still has to be productive, cooking is that because I eat at the end. I'm not so good at just like playing a video game for an hour because I don't necessarily see like the investment back in myself the same way I do with cooking. So it just takes a while to figure out what that thing is for you. But those for are sure. Cool. Yeah. And, and Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, and, um, you know, yeah, it's for you. Like as a student teacher, I was like, Oh, I have to do it like that person or I have to do it like this teacher over here. But 
it's you. You have your own personality, your own interest, your own house. Like that's the cool part is you get to find your own stuff. Absolutely. And if you loved everything you've heard today, you're in luck because Braylon has so much content that you can consume. She's got a podcast and a YouTube. I'll have both of those linked in the show notes as well as her Instagram. So thank you so much for coming on to this episode. Of course. Thank you. Bye everyone. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you like what you heard, I'd greatly appreciate if you left me some feedback. And if you want to hear more, go ahead and give me a follow. While you're at it, come say hi on social media. You can find me at Adaptation Station on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, and you can visit me at adaptationstation.net. I can't wait to bring you guys the next episode, and I'll talk again soon.